0: Morning, are we awake today? Yes. I'm so glad that I got out of a roasting from Taryn. It is quite a terrifying thing to invite her up and have the microphone, um, but I processed the fear, pushed through, and we're here, and everything's fine, and I haven't been burnt or roasted. Thanks, Terry. Um Yeah, just great to be with you this morning, and as Terry said, this is our week two of this incredible series, um, God's Will for Your Life, because I think that all of us have this Desire to to know more, like why are we here? <laughs> what's the meaning of life? And for those of us who found faith in Jesus, it's like, well, God, what's your will for my life? Because if you made me, you must have a plan. Um, and so last week we did. We looked at um, the fact that there's this universal. We believe, you know, it it can be that we want a helicopter to fly past and say, you should do this. I know we wanted that obvious, but really there are these these aspects of God's will for all of our lives that are universal and the same for all of us. And so we're looking into those and we trust that as we go through that, that we'll all find out more clearly what what God's will is. Where's Josh gone? Josh, is my earring causing a problem? Great. Okay, so um, John 15 says, this is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And um, so that's where the series is going, is that we would be known to everybody by our fruit. That's God's will for us. It's His desire that we would bear much fruit and that the world would see our fruit. And so that's how we've gone through this um, analogy of a tree. And so last week we started with the seed. Um, and let me just read this to you from last week. It's from John 12:23. Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, that unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. So um, it, it is this perplexing thing of like a seed, which has got the potential for life in, falling to the ground and being buried in the soil, and only when it dies, being able to produce new life. And um, in my understanding of it, I'm terrified to say this because my sister's here and she knows these things very well and she'll give me a drilling after church. But um, the seed doesn't actually die. It's just that it has to cease being a seed. It has to stop being a seed in order for it to become a plant. So in that sense, it, it, it becomes something new. And that's how it dies. And when we become something new in God in, with the Holy Spirit it produces much life, and so um, last week we looked at a couple of things, and the most important thing was that when it comes to god 's will for your life it 's got less to do with the what we become or the what we do, and a whole lot more with the who we become god 's will he, what he 's after is the who we 're becoming. Um, for those who missed it, and we're so sad to say that unfortunately there was a little glitch in our technology and it wasn't recorded, but Darren and our might just record it and put it up and we'll let you know. But Darren shared an incredibly vulnerable message, as, as Terry said, about his journey for the last 11 or 12 weeks with fibromyalgia um, and how that has, on days, crippled him. Um, but what he came to share on was that by no means is he anywhere near the end of his journey but that God has given him some incredible revelations um, through this journey. And what he shared with us in a a nutshell, because I don't want to um, park there too long, but that as a little boy of eight, he had um, tragically lost his dad. And he had kind of picked up this big heavy armor and put it on and tried to be everything that was needed uh, for his mom and for his brother and for himself. And he just put this big heavy armor on him that over years and years and years of him wearing this responsibility and picking up his dad's, uh, the only weapons that he could find for life, which were his dad's weapons, that um, it had had this crushing effect on him over years and years. And so he, he got to this place where he, he realized through um, a wonderful, um, one of the doctors that's been with, working with him, that he actually needed to shed off this armor, put it at the foot of the cross, give it to Jesus, actually bury it, allow the, the, the kernel, that shell of the seed to actually fall off of him so that he could come alive and not have to carry this incredible burden any longer. And so last week, in a nutshell, was about the fact that we have um, desires. When it comes to God's Well, we have these desires, and we also have these defenses. And if we can put those down and bury them and say, God, you, you have the very best for me, and you are the very best protector, and put them down and bury them, that a new life will spring up, and it will not be heavy and burdensome. So that was last week. And um, this week, we're going to be looking at roots. And we can't really talk about roots without talking about soil, because the roots have to establish themselves in soil. And so these two um, pictures go very, very closely together. But um, sorry, just, off, just to seal off the thought on last week, um, we know that when it's a what are we becoming, um, it's, it's actually we're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what God's macro universal will for each and every one of us is, is that we would, as we die to self, become more and more like Jesus. Okay, so roots. We're talking about roots um, because it starts with roots and it goes into soil and then a plant and then fruits. And we know that God wants us to be much fruit. So um, the soil is the, is the thing that's going to uh, have play such a huge role in those fruits. And let me explain why. Years ago, um, and, and some of you who are big wine buffs, you'll be sitting here going, oh my gosh, did she only just, not like, how did she not even know that? But anyway, for those like me who didn't know this, we spent some time on a wine farm years ago with this lovely, it was a small little wine farm. Like I think the restaurant could have like a maximum of 18 people and such a dear old man who ran the wine farm. It was like a family enterprise. And um, he he shared a lot of information, you know, about wine with us. And he, he showed us his fields. He probably had about eight fields. It was just outside of Franschhoek. And um, he said, you know, we can plant the same vine, the same seeds, the same conditions, the same sun is coming down, and yet all of those wines will taste different. And the reason being that there's like remnants of different things in the soil. So there might have been some citrus that was in that soil there, and that will come up in the flavor, and some cocoa there, and some chili there, or whatever the case may be. But um, all of these grapes, even though planted with such similar conditions, will make a different wine because of the soil, because of what they drew up. So, we're going to start here because this message has the potential to make us leave here feeling like we have to do more, and that's not what we want at all. So, hear me clearly when I say it starts in this text, and this is where we want to anchor ourselves. In Ephesians 3.17, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of fullness of God. So what is the soil that the roots have to be established in? It's love. We are called to be rooted and established in love. This is Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church and it's the prayer for us today. Because if we are rooted and established in love, then that's what's going to be sucked up that tree, and what will the fruits be? They'll be fruits of love. Now, sadly, my understanding growing up um, of God was that he was an aloof, grumpy, um, standoffish, obsessed with my behavior, watching me critically type of God. Does anyone else have any kind of a remembrance of God like this? Okay, I'm not the only one. I'm so glad. Um, And... And, you know, in thinking about today's message, because I've had to journey through my faith. You, know, you have that moment where, for for those of you who've made that decision to kind of completely surrender everything. I know when I had that moment, I experienced a love that I still battle to describe. It was absolutely, earth-shatteringly incredible. Um, but then you kind of journey and you, you find yourself... Um, yeah, in a place where it doesn't always feel like that. But just to go back, as, as somebody who wasn't raised, you know, in a, in a family who was church going, family of faith, my only, um, you know, I had this impression of like a, a grumpy, judgmental God, and I, I had to ask myself in order to prepare for today, where would that have come from? Like, my only exposure really to hearing about and learning about that God was actually, sadly, from Christians. Um, it was from people, sadly, that I'd encountered who I came across and thought, like, wow, you know, they're just making me feel heavy about myself. And um, I feel like I don't fit in this club and I feel a little bit inferior. Um, and this, this I, I want to say, this wasn't everybody of the faith that I met, but it certainly was like quite a large percentage. Um, And so I found myself in this place where I thought, I really have to understand this in order to do due diligence, this message, because there's this Bible, which is the most staggering love story. It's unbelievable. How on earth could we ever get to a place where what God's people can be known for is more about superiority and uh, we we have all the answers and um, being our moral police rather than actual carriers of love? I know it's a difficult thing to say, and I do want to say that it wasn't all all Christians that I met who were like this, but there was a large percentage. And then, as I said, in my own faith journey, I've had this like, you know, meandering along of understanding it. So you have this, wow, God loves me, and everything has changed. And then I found myself under teachings, which church people will know as legalism, where suddenly I was taught or somehow came to understand that I had to actually earn his love and I had to do enough and I had to behave well enough. And so if you're now striving for something which actually you already have, it it starts to mess you up a bit and you're working so hard to be good enough to this God who already loves you. And um, so you become a little bit self-righteous. And when you see other people behaving as they're jolly, well, please, you're like, damn it, I'm trying so hard and you just doing whatever you want, and so you get judgmental, and you're kind of like, no, that's not okay, and so you, you kind of perpetuate the cycle of like, I've got to be good enough, you constantly, there's this war going in your head of like, have I prayed enough, have I, oh, this happened because of that, and, and you're just in this inner turmoil, and it's exhausting, and you're so consumed by it that the fruit of your love is not love, is judgment, it's self-righteousness. It's superiority. It's like, I've got all the answers, even though I don't really. But it's, it's just, it just gets messed up. Um, I had this distinct feeling that, you know, um, before I actually knew Jesus, that I was substandard. And now, being in this way of thinking, under really wrong teaching about what I had to do to earn his love, I understood why that was actually possible. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think there was this striving and this effort that made me upset and angry and judgmental with everybody that I felt was living more freely than me. And actually, when we step into Jesus, what we should be doing is stepping into ever-increasing levels of freedom, really. So I think one of the kindnesses of God, what I just love about him, is how he uses pictures and stories and analogies in nature to teach us these incredible things. I mean, I'm just... Sometimes in absolute awe, I think that we aren't, uh, we don't have enough permission to just see how much he's teaching us, even through just opening our windows and looking out into the world. It's just breathtaking. Um, but with this thing of fruit, so you've heard, it was a struggle, like I've got to, I've got to do, do, do. But with fruit, have you ever seen a fruit struggling and applying effort to grow? It doesn't. It's just a product of being on the tree. A fruit is just rooted and it grows and there it is on the tree. There's no effort. And God doesn't want this to be an effort-filled thing. He wants it to be something that because of where the roots are, it would just flourish. And that's what people would pick off of our trees is the fruits of his goodness. Um, Anyone who's been in the church any amount of time will have heard of the beautiful fruits of the spirit described in Galatians of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when we're rooted and established in His love, these are the things that just grow without effort. And um, against those things, there is no law. Um, So we know even of those beautiful fruits of the Spirit, God said, Jesus said, the greatest of these is love. So do people look to us and see love? I don't think they do when I'm in the school traffic, but I'm working on it. But seriously, God's will for our lives is that people would look at us and get an inkling of his love, get a taste of his love. Any of us in this room who are parents, I think a lot of us, um, will know that when our kids are ghastly to each other and fight and competitive and wanting to claw each other's eyeballs out, it hurts us. It grieves us as parents. And we can apply the same to God, like we're his kids. He wants us to get along and to be kind and to favor the other. And uh, when we see our kids doing those things, like, I mean, you almost fall off your feet when one says, hey, can I carry your bag? And you're like, what's going on here? Like, you know, it's, it's so, because it, it catches our breath and it's like, wow, that's, that's what is so beautiful. And, and that's what God wants. He wants that love for one another, for, for him to see that. Now, I know that this can sound like a real like you should kind of preach, like you should, 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 and um, that's not what I want it to be. Um, But it really is his will for us to learn to love in this way. It's what sent him to the cross, and it's really what should draw others to him. Love is not always easy. Um, Very often, to be truly loving, we have to step through fear we have to be prepared to um, get out of comfort zones. Fear, uh, love love requires a lot. Um, it, is, it is quite a thing. Um, and today we're just going to chat around a few of the things that make it even more difficult to just have love for others. So um, I came across this thing. Um, if we can just have that um, slide up. And I was like, wow, it felt like quite a sucker punch to the belly. It says there, and they will know you by, that you are my disciples by your rules, theology, righteousness, power, rhetoric, purity, and clubs. No, none of those things. God said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. Now, all of those things are actually not bad. They're not bad things. But when they're put in the right position with love as the most important thing, look at how they change. Imagine if we just went out and said, I'm just going to show you my love, and, and that got a person to a place of going, wow, what rules do you live by that allow you to live with such love and peace? Isn't that different to just coming in with a sucker punch on our rules? Or imagine if we said, um, I'm going to be loving and I'm going to have clubs, but the object of my clubs will always be to make more space for more people and for us to be on a journey of growing and learning together clubs aren't bad but if they exist as a a vehicle for love they're so much better or how about if I could look at people um, with God's eyes and love them and humbly recognize that just because I've established the Bible as my authority I can't impose that on them it doesn't serve anybody out there for me to go and say but this is what the Bible says if that hasn't become their authority yet We need to be humble and and just go out there and just love and trust that as we do that, it will point to our ever-loving Father. Okay, we're gonna try to, before we do that, I, I feel to just ask you all to just think of a moment where you experienced such love from somebody else. Something that had such power to actually change you or a situation. Just think about that. Um, For me, just thinking about this, it was at a time when my dad was really ill. This is probably the time that I most felt the love of others. And um, in the last three months of his life, there were two things that made me cry almost every day. And the one was just seeing, you know, dad um, struggling and, you know, things getting harder each day for him. But the other thing that made me cry so much was people's love. It was just staggering, just at that moment when you're in the pit in the valley and you just get a message from somebody to say, I'm praying for you today, or your doorbell rings and there would just be somebody arriving just with a feast of food. Um, And I remember how it impacted my dad to just say, like, I can't believe how much love we're being shown by friends and family. That's the thing we're after. Let's have a look at what Jesus said about roots. In Matthew thirteen three, then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But then when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. And they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, there's four scenarios in this parable. The first is uh, the seeds. So the seeds um, that are of the truth, of us hearing God and understanding him that those seeds fell and were immediately devoured by by babut. So there's no chance for roots there. The second is the rocky soil. So these ones grew up fast, but they withered quickly because they didn't have time to establish roots. And then the third were the thorns that were choked, um, thorns that choked the faith. And um, Jesus goes on later to explain that these were the worries of the world. They were just um, allowing the worries of the world become bigger than our faith and trust in him. And then the good soil Uh, which obviously is is the one that we would want all seeds to fall fall in. Now, I think what happens in many of our lives is that we we go to church or we go to God or we go there seeking for something and maybe it's friendship, maybe it's community, maybe it's for direction, for a job or because we want a job or because we want a house but there's something that often can drive people to go to church or to go to God. And sometimes we get those things, and that's awesome. But the thing is that those things can't actually feed our spiritual person. They're just things that God gives us. But they don't feed us and nurture us. They're secondary to his love. And so what happens if, if that's all we've done, we've gone and we've, we've, yay, got those things that we went for, is that if they go away, we find ourselves in a predicament of going, wow, God, did you, do you even love me? Like, Or... Why, why did you take that away? And then there's this kind of wrestle of, okay, well, you know, I tried the God thing, I tried the church thing, but it didn't work out for me because we didn't get the thing, okay? The stuff that God can give us, the stuff that sometimes gets us to go to him is not bad stuff, but it's not the stuff. It's, it's him that we should want more than the stuff. And so that's really the shallow soil, it's the going in and not taking the time to root and establish ourselves in love. And so when those things go, we just like left going, well, well, what is there? Because there was nothing more. We hadn't allowed it to deepen, our faith to deepen in his love. There's another root I want to talk about, um, which is a root that is one that is not established in love. It's not feeding off love. Hebrews 12:14 says this, pursue peace with all men as well as holiness Without which no one will see the Lord. Be careful that no one falls short of the grace of God, so that no root of bitterness will spring up to cause trouble and defile many. So, here we hear of this thing called a root of bitterness, which can spring up and cause a defiling and corruption and pain. I think that some of us, whether we're aware or not, have allowed ourselves to be very hampered in our ability to love because of bitterness. I think very often we're not aware of it, but sometimes we are, and it's something that really and truly has to be dealt with. Um, Bitterness plays itself out in three ways. It can be bitterness towards God, and that could come about because he hasn't answered the prayers we wanted, or it's like, God, why didn't you save her? Why didn't you heal that? Or Why didn't we see that provision come through? But anything that hasn't gone our way if we don't have those roots established can cause us to have a bitterness towards God that strangles out our ability to trust Him. The second is a bitterness towards ourselves. It's that inner monologue that just plays, saying, I don't deserve that, I shouldn't have good Um, guilt and shame and just yuck, where we we just haven't allowed ourselves to really believe what He says about us. And then... The third is bitterness towards other. And this is the one I'm going to park on a little bit today. How do we know that we have bitterness towards other? There's a few ways. I think if you find yourself going, um, having uncharitable thoughts towards somebody or being given amazing opportunity and thinking, I don't really want them to, to get to ride on this bus because of whatever that thing was that happened. But just anything that shows you in your heart that you have an issue with somebody having the very best can be a way to diagnose that there's any bitterness in you. And I want to be completely honest and say that as I've prepared this, I've realized that I need to have a conversation with somebody because I've been feeling that way. And I will. I promise you I'm going to do that this week. But just a, a niggling that I realized this week that like something really amazing is happening in their life. And I'm going, oh, but, but, but. And that's not okay. I have to deal with that. Um, some of you would have been here a few weeks back when we had Audrey Mubiyazi. Um, this just, just fabulous woman and I'm deeply jealous because today she's actually uh, speaking at Florida Road so they're in for a complete treat um, but Audrey, the first time I ever met her she said, shared a, a story about when she had lost her two-year-old son um, and she had had a day where she was sitting with her dad her, her real dad um, and just weeping, absolute buckets and saying, why me, God, why me, why me, why me and her dad said, you know what? Who else would you rather this had happened to Is there anyone else you can think of who you would rather have gone through that? And um, there's a whole lot that maybe you need to unpack of that thing. But I'm using this for a different story. Um, I shared that story in a group of ladies, and um, a few days later, I ended up going to pray with one of the girls who was in that group, who was going through something absolutely terrifying. And as we just processed and prayed a bit, she said, You know, when you said that thing about Audrey, um, I I realized now that as I'm going through this terrifying thing in my life, I asked God the question, Why me? And there was somebody who came to mind that I would rather be going through this than me. And that allowed her to see that there was a root of bitterness that needed to be addressed. And it's okay, because sometimes it's merely speaking it out and saying, Please help me, I don't want this anymore. That's a glorious thing. Don't worry if it's there. Don't worry that you have it. I think we all have it. And you know, a root, if it's a root that's attached to us, to pull it off is going to be flipping painful because it's like a part of us. But it's a very necessary work. And I'm going to give us a moment at the end of this today to just pray into that because some of us really need to work out if there is this, a, a root of bitterness that needs to be dealt with. Jesus on the cross, um, we know that he was offered bitter gall and um, He tasted it, but he wouldn't drink it. It's okay to taste bitterness, but don't drink it. Don't absorb it. Don't let it go in and become any kind of nutrition to you because it causes poison. It results in poisonous fruit. When those moments of anger or disappointment or rejection come, we have to guard our minds because there's a, a choice we make to stop it right there and to let it shrivel up or to let it mature and become something that is rooted in us, which will cause great sickness and pain. If there's anyone that I can think of in recent history who had a right to be bitter, the person who came to mind was Mandela. And I just want to read you this quote of his. As I walked out of the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. He cut off that root, and he said, "That is staying there." And he came out, and he all he did was love. If there's a root of bitterness in any of us today, we need to deal with it, because it's hampering what God wants for us. If I think of somebody else who has, to me, epitomised radical love, it's Mother Teresa. I have read some things that describe her as a little angry Albanian terrorist, but um, that's not what I know of her. I only see somebody who was unbelievably sacrificially loving. And so I just wanted to read you these two short accounts of people who came into contact with her. Mother Teresa glided past us, her bare feet making feather-light sounds on the floor. Her wrinkled hands were clasped tightly and held close to her heart. I could sense an awesome presence as she passed by. I momentarily lifted my eyes to take a little more in. Her height, or lack thereof, apparently she was shorter than Kimber. her height took me by surprise. This spiritual giant stood not much taller than my six-year-old daughter. Mother Teresa came towards me and my two-year-old Jessica, secure in my arms so that she couldn't run around the convent. Mother Teresa's surprise approach was direct yet gentle. Is this the baby who was singing at mass, she asked me. Yes, I replied. It seemed as if everything moved in slow motion as Mother Teresa of Kolkata dressed in her simple white sari, reached out her worn, loving hand to touch my daughter and pat her back. In fact, I think my heart stopped in that moment. That first encounter with a saint penetrated my heart and etched an unforgettable message that remains this day. I think that in a certain sense, standing next to Mother Teresa was like standing next to Jesus Christ himself. I had the sense of feeling wildly exhilarated and yet deeply calmed all at once. You know, I just, I don't know, I just read that and I was like, wow, imagine being so completely rooted and established in his love, so utterly transformed to the image of Jesus that just standing next to somebody helps them to know him better. I love that, deeply calmed and yet exhilarated. Like, what a beautiful juxtaposition. There's also this one. Mother had learned that there were many homeless men sleeping on the streets of London, and she asked to be taken to see them. So one night, Anne Blakey and I accompanied Mother. Noticing one man in particular, Mother got out of the car and went to him. At first, he took no notice of her presence. But when she took his hand, he looked up and said, It has been a long time since I felt such warmth of a human hand. Mother Teresa returned to the car and told us, this man is a sick man and we cannot leave him on the street. And so we took him to the Salvation Army. You know, um, Mother Teresa understood that to pour out love, she had to be proximate. She had to bash down those barriers of, of fear and discomfort and just put herself close to where the pain and need was. And I think for all of us, it's, So utterly challenging to hear this. We can think, how on earth are we expected to carry and shoulder such a burden? How did this little old lady surround herself in such crushing brokenness day in and day out? How did she even withstand that? How did she carry that kind of a burden and yet still remain as loving as she did? Psalm 92.12 says this, but the godly will flourish like palm trees. They will grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They will flourish in the courts of God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. It says there that they will grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. And I looked into this a little bit a while back. And um, the cedars of Lebanon are utterly fascinating plants, okay? Because, um, okay, can you see those branches? They're they're actually like parallel to the ground. And um, I think what my understanding is, is that if you actually ask an architect, they'll tell you that that's like a fairly incredible feat, because something that's horizontal with that kind of weight, without something on the other side, like a pillar to hold it up, is quite incredible. It it speaks of a deep, deep strength, a deep-rooted strength. And, um, What's more is that um, you know those trees would actually get like low, laden down, loaded with snow in the winter, and they'd be carrying these massive, massive weights, and they would just their branches are there, just holding them up. They're rooted and deep. They are rooted and established in God's love. Um, sometimes we get ways to show this love in the smallest or the or the biggest ways, and I, I just want to you're not just like leave us with the example of Mandela and Nelson and Mother Teresa, but like just a, a little thing that God reminded me of this morning. Um, I felt this love for a man the other day um, because I think that when we're just so established in his love, you know, the more we, we learn to do that, and this is a journey for all of us, the more we can have these glimpses of his love for others. And so there I was at Willys, and I had the two little guys with me, Sam and Milakutle, and um, I was feeling quite frazzled and harassed because I was late for Nicholas. And Melo has some kind of relationship with the floor of Woolworths, which is very difficult to take him with me. Because for some reason, it's like the minute he gets there, he has to run and slide on his kneecaps. So there's carnage all around him. And um, and Sam joins in, and then it's just... Yeah, I've, I've had security guards approach me and ask if I need help before. Anyway, so I'm harassed and I'm late. And then the boys, shame, they're so sweet, but they're trying to help me put all the stuff on to pay for. And they drop a punnet of strawberries. So There's like strawberry jam everywhere because they're still sliding on knees and it's just fun and games. Um, and I was completely not focused on, on anybody in front of me. But then somehow it broke through. This man who was uh, the teller spoke, and I was just like, oh my gosh, that man's voice. And I was like, no, 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 I'm too busy. And, and then I packed up my groceries and off I'm going. And, and I felt like, no, I have to say it. I, I really feel like I have to say it. And I just said, do you sing? And he kind of just shook his head and said, no. And then the lady who packs the groceries said, I always tell him he must sing. He must sing. And um, I said, I really believe you must sing. You've got a beautiful voice. And, um, and he just beamed. He just beamed, you know, and it was, it was just, as I'm just saying that we can't get bogged down on the, oh, we have to change the world. You know, it's those little moments where we get an inkling of God's love for somebody and what is wired in them. And we see them with his eyes that we can just bring a little bit of that, bit of that into situation. So if you go to Woolworths at the junction and a man with a beautiful, deep voice <laughs> speaks, just say, go sing. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a moment where It's like, it's just telling somebody, I see you. I see how wonderfully made you were. I recognize you. I can tell you that there is no greater freedom and joy than what comes from mining the depths of understanding of God's love for us. Love for God is not optional. If you want in on the will of God... It is the only acceptable motivation for any obedience. If you're obeying God, obeying his commandments to go make disciples, to go and change the nations, to heal the sick, whatever it is, if you're doing any of that, not from a place of understanding his love, then the obedience doesn't matter. He wants it to come from drawing from him and to be a fruit that just grows without effort, without striving. John fourteen twenty three. anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to love them and make our home with them. If anyone does not love me, anyone who does not love me will not be willing to obey my teaching. These words you hear are not for my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. It just speaks of the fact that obedience is nothing if it's not from understanding his love, loving him and letting that pour out. You know, back to God's will for your life. If we're rooted and established in God's love, we won't have to find God's will. His will will find us like a magnet. It will find us. It might be that you're already in hospitals or being a doctor, being an accountant, being a a cleaner, being a teacher, an architect, a builder, whatever it is, you might already be doing that thing. And as you work out and realize this love, that you realize you are exactly in His will. Or it may be that as you understand his love that you feel drawn into it. But it is the absolute best place to start. It's what God wants for us. When we're rooted and established in his love, he can do immeasurably more for us than we could ever ask or imagine. Um, Kims, I wonder if you could just come and um, play a little bit. I'm going to lead us just in a time of prayer. You can actually stay sitting because I think that God wants to help us just to work a few things out um, for a moment. When I was going to sleep last night, I heard God, I know it sounds crazy when we say that as batty Christians, but I had a sense in my spirit of God saying there was three parts of today's message, that he wanted you to feel deeply encouraged, that there was some healing that needed to take place, and that all of us would leave feeling challenged. And so you'll You'll hear that as we pray now and you'll sense that in your spirit. But won't you just lean in and close your eyes and just really allow God deep into this space. Father, thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you for the stories and the pictures you give us to understand your desires for us and what you want for us and your will for us. Father, thank you that you invite us to have the roots of our life go deep into your love. Thank you that you allowed your son to die so that we could be invited into this love. Father, today we just come before you, we submit ourselves, we surrender ourselves before you, and we ask you to reveal to us if there's anything in our lives that is making it difficult for us to love. Father, if we have any bitterness towards you, or ourselves, or somebody else. Father, would you please just bring that name or that face to mind? God, I ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would allow people to cut off that root, to dry up that source, that no more bitterness would go through us, Lord. Holy Spirit, please would you just whisper to us now if we need to have a conversation with somebody or to take it to somebody that we trust or whether this is something we can just work out with you, God. just Holy Spirit, just guide us in what you want us to do so that we would not be a people with any bitterness. Father, thank you that we are forgiven. Forgiven people forgive. Love people love. Thank you, Father, that you are healing people now, that you're setting people free, that they're leaving bitterness in that jail cell. God, thank you that you've tasked us with this incredible privilege of being the signs that would point people to you. And that by your love, they would know that we are your disciples. Father, won't you just give us your eyes? Just break into our everyday reality that we could see people the way you see them. That we could. Communicate love in whatever way you guide us, Lord. Help us to see everybody, all your children, with your eyes of love. May we grow in your love, God. And may this cause us to love in ways that are simply beyond us. God, we know that we can all love, but we don't want to give of a love that is exhausting. We want to just give of a love that is from your Absolute wealth, your abundance of love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yes.
1: So, while well, Nats was preaching, I just felt the Holy Spirit prompt um, me to sing the song, and then I didn't listen, and I was scrambling now because the opportunity arose. So let these words and these lyrics just wash over you as the Holy Spirit continues to minister to your hearts. Let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the one the one for whom you loved and gave your son For humanity Increase my love And help me to love With open arms Like you do A love that erases All the lines And sees the truth Oh that when they look in my eyes They would see you Even in just a smile They would feel the Father's love Oh, how you love us From the homeless To the famous and in between You formed us You made us carefully The end. We're all your children. So help me. feel the Father's love. such a good father, All oh, in all my life tell of who you are, and the me to love with open arms like you do, a love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love.